there's one thing I really, really cannot stand, and that is to wait. If anybody knows me, waiting and patience is not my thing. It, it literally makes my like skin crawl. It makes my temperature rise. It makes me want to puke. Not really. But there is one restaurant in particular, and if anybody works there, I apologize. But Meg will no longer let me go to a Panera restaurant, okay? Panera restaurant, if you have not noticed, there is no structure or order, and you have to wait, even though it feels like there's like three people in front of you, and it's a half an hour to get your food, and the person who takes your money also gets your bagel, and then makes your coffee, and you just want to scream, and Meg will not let me jump over the counter and just correct things. But waiting is not a thing, especially when it comes to inefficiencies. That's a big thing. But what's so annoying is that we, we don't even like waiting and we have like cell phones now, right? Like we have the world at our fingertips and yet still having to wait just takes us and just makes us want to scream. And yet at the same time, waiting is so important to us. Have you ever heard of this? There's this, there's this experiment called the Stanford Marshmallow Experience, okay? Or experiment, okay? The, the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment, they took kids and they wanted to test their willpower, their ability to wait, and their perseverance. And so the scientists, they took one marshmallow and they set it in front of the kid and they said, I will be back and if you wait and you don't eat that marshmallow, I will come back with two marshmallows, okay? And so they were, they were just kind of looking at these kids and saying, okay, how much can they wait? So they would put one marshmallow down they would go into another room and 15 minutes later they would have one or they would have two marshmallows for the kid if they wanted it. Now some kids ate the marshmallow right away and some kids could, could have the will to wait. Now what's interesting is that they went back and they followed these kids and the kids that were able to wait for the two marshmallows all across the board were better, had better SAT scores they had better uh, uh, just kind of educational achievement in general. They had better body mass index. There was all kinds of crazy things for these kids that were able to wait for one with one marshmallow for 15 minutes and get two marshmallows. So there is power in being able to wait. It, it's awful to wait, and it's awesome to get immediate gratification. Can anybody say amen to that, right? We know that. Waiting and per perseverance are virtues that we have really lost. We've really lost the art of waiting. Waiting and patience and perseverance is talked about throughout the Bible. And what we see is that speed and self-gratification and immediacy is talked about in our culture. And so there's two different things that are happening. And whenever we look at the Bible and we look at culture, oftentimes because we are humans who are Christians who are influenced by culture, there is a tension in our heart, right? We want to wait. We want to persevere. But at the same time, every other message that's coming into our mind is go ahead and get what you deserve. Go ahead and get what you want right now. And so there's this tension that exists in our heart. And so we're going to look at this in the Bible. And we're going to look at the story of Isaac. In, in Genesis 26.1, so now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. So we see that there was a famine on top of another famine. There are two famines pretty back to back. This is the second recorded famine in Genesis. 
Well, what was the first, first famine? Well, we know that. You remember there was an earlier famine that hit Abraham, Isaac's father, and Abraham had to go down to Egypt. And so you'll remember that this is the stage that is set. Famine is a thing. Now, famine is no joke. When I use the word famine, you probably think, oh, it's hard to grow crops. That's not true. 15 years ago, about 15 years ago, I, I used to work for an organization called World Vision. And I sat on a team that uh, was in charge of raising millions of dollars for a famine that was happening in East Africa. Now, famine is different than dry seasons. Famine, the ground is hard. There's no water. This is what famine land looks like. And famine, people are starving and animals are starving. This is no joke. There's zero water in the ground. There's no hope, and it's very, very serious. When there's a declared famine, we're talking about something very significant. And here it's saying there was a famine on top of a famine. This is really, really bad. And so we see this pressure is going to cause Isaac to, to move and move his flocks into into the Philistines' land, all right? So he's going to move into this land of the Philistines. So now he's putting himself in personal danger, okay? So not only is there a famine, but there's a bunch of people that don't want him there, okay? So what are you going to do about this? There's famine and there's enemies, all right? There is, I got, uh, this is my first ever time using examples, and I had to hide it back here. There is dirt. There is dry dirt, all right? Some of you in this room over the last couple of years or right now are experiencing dry dirt. You look at something, a circumstance in your life, or you look at an issue in your life, or you look at a relationship in your life, and you're looking at famine dirt, dry dirt that you're like, this is not going to work. And, and we look at this, and we look at this, and we say, okay, my job situation looks like dry dirt. My relationship with my spouse looks like dry dirt. My relationship with my kids look like dry dirt. My relationship with a brother or a sister or whatever life situation there is, my financial situation, looks like dry dirt. It looks like famine upon famine. And there's no hope when you look at dry dirt. And this is what Isaac's looking at. Isaac's looking at famine upon famine, and there's no hope. And what do we see here? Genesis 26.2. So the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. So it appears that this could mean that God comes in a visible form like he did Abraham, but he's talking to Isaac in some capacity, okay? And what we see is that he communicates this. He says, Do not go down to Egypt. Isaac must have been thinking from an earthly strategic mindset. Because he must have been thinking, I need to go down south. The land here is famine upon famine, and people want to kill me. In his earthly perspective, it makes sense for Isaac to be like, deuces, I'm out of here. I'm heading down south. You see, from an earthly perspective, Egypt was not vulnerable to famine. Why? They have this thing called the Nile River that's going straight through it. And if the Nile River gets dry, we're in real trouble because this thing is huge and it feeds all the crops. And so from an earthly perspective, he's going to want to go down to Egypt because he's going to say, oh, I have the river to feed my crops 
Instead, I have to wait on the heavens to open up and give me rain. And when you have famine upon famine, there's not much trust that the, that the heavens are going to open and that rain's going to come down because you just look in there and it's as dry as a bone. Remember those photos. And so we see this, that crops in Egypt would have been watered, but in Canaan, they would have to rely on the heavens. Can you relate to this? Can you relate to these seasons where it's dry ground and not only is it dry ground, but you're like, I want to get out of Dodge. I want to go to the next thing. But God comes down and tells Isaac not to run off to Egypt. He is to remain in Canaan. Doing this would have had to require a ton, a ton of faith from Isaac. This would have required incredible trust in the Lord because the the lure of Egypt would have been very strong. The grass is literally greener in Egypt. Like quite literally, matter of fact, there's grass in Egypt. In a famine, there's no grass even. You're just looking at dry land. And so Isaac's looking at dry dirt. And he hears the Lord say, stay in the dry dirt. Even though Egypt is calling from an earthly perspective, I want you to stay. And so many of us have felt this tension. Maybe many of you feel this tension in the area of your life in general. Maybe it's like, man, it's famine after famine. Why would I even talk to that person anymore? Man, it's famine after famine. Why would I even live here anymore? It's famine after famine. Why would I not just go? Because the grass is greener in Egypt. We all have an Egypt that is always calling us. And the Lord is saying, whoa, 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 wait, because I planted you here for a reason. Many of us say, I'm just going to eat that one marshmallow. I don't have time to wait for these two marshmallows. And I feel that in myself a lot. Yes, the dirt, the dirt is dry. Yes, there seems to be no hope. But why would God do this? So let's look at this, Genesis 26, 3-6. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confer, confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. The Lord reminded Isaac of the promises that he had that he had given Abraham. And he said, I was faithful to Abraham and I will be faithful to you, Isaac. And Isaac's looking at dry dirt and yet he has this promise. Many of you are looking at dry dirt, but you have promises in your life that you know. You know that there's loved ones that you just keep praying for and you hear the Lord saying, just keep on keeping on. And yet it looks like famine and it looks like dry dirt, but the Lord says, stay faithful. Stay true because I am going to bless you. Don't run off. He does this to show his greatness. Out of famine dirt, only God can show his greatness. And we see this. The Lord calls Isaac to remain in the land of promise. And to remember that even though it's plagued with famine after famine, and there's zero earthly perspective to stay there, he said it may be too hard, but he reassures him. He says, I will bless you and I will be with you. Even when the ground seems dry, it seems to be no hope. He says this, he's saying to each one of us, I will be with you and I promise that I will bless you. 
But sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we want to bounce to Egypt. Sometimes we want to bounce to the next thing. The Americans, if there's any culture that has this on them, it is Americans. Where is the momentum? Where is the energy? Where is the thing? Where is the next thing to get my dopamine? Literally, that's the way our brain works. And the Lord's saying, no, 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 no. That's not how I work. And you are always going to be disappointed if you go that way. Because God's promises remain true, and they aren't all of a sudden lessened because of the circumstance that you're going through. Let me say that again. God's promises remain true, and they aren't lessened, they aren't messed with, they aren't ruined, because it looks like famine dirt, even when it does. It's the hardest thing to remember, that there is a temptation to run, there is a temptation to head to Egypt, there is a temptation to get our immediate needs met, to pick the easier life. But, but we look at this. We look at dry ground and we can say, I am out of here. But God tells us that he will be with us. And we have to understand that he will be with us. And it's our job to remain faithful within that. Because what does God want to do? We're going to read further. But God wants to, sorry, another one around the thing. God wants to produce this. God wants to produce plants. God wants to produce crops. He's saying, I am going to actually bless you. Somehow, I'm going to take dry famine dirt, and I'm going to produce this. You aren't going to be a part of this at all. I'm going to do it. But what does this look like for us, right? He wants to produce fruit for us. He wants to produce fruit in us. And he wants to produce fruit within our community. God wants to do that. But here's the hardest part. Isaac found himself in this. This space in between. This is where faith is. The problem is, is that we see dry dirt. And the problem is that we know that God promised this. But so many of us fall apart right here. And this is where Isaac's going to find himself. In the space in between dry dirt and crops and plants and he is going to be like, this is where faith happens. This is where waiting happens. This is where perseverance happens. And so many of us see dry dirt, and we chase something that looks like this, smells like this, feels like this, but it's not God's plant. It's earthly plants that are just going to feed us for a little bit, but we will find ourselves, I promise you, right back here in, in famine dirt. I promise you. And what we see is that, Isaac's going to find himself on here, in there. And if you remember the story of Abraham, right? The story of Abraham. He's going to run off to Egypt, and he's going to have this beautiful wife, Sarah. And he's going to say to the Egyptians, he's going to say, oh, that's not my wife, that's my, he's, he's afraid, right? He, he says, that's my, not my wife, that's my, my sister. Well, we're going to see the same thing happens. Isaac's following the same story. And in the middle of the struggle, in the middle between dry dirt and fruit, you're going to see Isaac, and he's going to lie too. Abimelech's going to come, and he's going to say, whoa, 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 Rebecca's not my, my wife. She's, he's my sister because he's afraid. Genesis 26, 7 through 8. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. Uh-oh, that's not supposed to happen. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. 
Why did you say she is my sister? I, I put this part not to knock on Isaac. I put this part because in this gap from dry dirt to fruit in some is some of the most challenging parts of your life. There is no sales tactic here. If you are here in dry dirt and you're here going to the fruit, this will be some of the most challenging times of your life. And not only that, you will find times where you are afraid. You will find times where you are anxious. You will find times where you make the wrong decision. That is part of this gap. And Isaac does it. Abraham did it. Uh, many fathers of our fathers of our faith did it. But in this gap from what God, what the circumstances look like to what God wants to do, we will make mistakes. There is going to be fear. We find ourselves here. Waiting is hard. I said that early. Waiting is hard. But throughout scriptures, it tells us not just to wait, but that there is actually an importance to waiting. And so let's look at this. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now this term wait in the Hebrew actually is probably better translated by this. It's better described as an eager hope. We're actually supposed to have an eager hope. We're supposed to live with expectation of deliverance. Waiting is us saying there is an expectation that the Lord is going to come through for me. Okay? So we look at dry famine upon famine ground with eager hope. It's, it's totally bizarre. It's like, I don't see how this is going to work, but I have all the hope in the world that I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to have expectations that he is going to do something with this famine dirt. And during this time, what do we see? During this time of the gap, because it says here, when we wait, what's happening? We are building up strength. We're building up strength. We are letting our hearts build up with courage. This is part of our growth process, right? When we see famine dirt and we run to Egypt, what happens? This disappears. What happens? We become docile, normal. I use the word normal because we should not be normal. But normal Christians who are just weak. They're just weak. We didn't take time to be in between the famine dirt and the crops that the Lord wanted to produce. And we find ourselves not building up the strength, not building up courage, not building up eager hope and learning what that feels like and what that means. And it's not saying it's going to be easy. I'm just saying that in the waiting, God is building you up. In this space in between, God is building you up. And if we travel down to Egypt, we're going to miss that opportunity. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Somehow, in the in-between, when we wait, when we place our hope on the Lord, when we wait with eager hope and eagerness that He's going to come through, we actually find ourselves renewed. We find ourselves in this, in this period of strengthening. We find ourselves being ready to run the race and not growing tired, to walk and not grow faint. It's amazing, but so many of us run from famine dirt to what looks like God's crops, and it's not God's crops. Amen? Amen. We will build perseverance. Faith 
is a perseverance game. I do not know how else to sell it. But culture right now is an anti-perseverance game. Culture is saying, you all are crazy if you live in this in-between. Because we have everything that you need to take away pain, to take away sorrow, to take away confusion, to take away worry, to take away anxiety, to take away name, whatever it is. And we go and we eat these crops. And before long, we say, well, that's not from the Lord. I can taste that. Yeah, and maybe it tasted good for a little bit. Maybe it was the one marshmallow, but I really, really want the two marshmallows now, right? We have to understand there's a perseverance because God is moving in profound ways and we will miss it if we keep chasing Egypt. You know, there's, this, there's a, a great pastor and a, um, author, he's since passed, but Eugene Peterson. And I've mentioned this book before, but he has a book called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. The long obedience in the same direction. And what he's saying is that the premise of this book is that we live in a society that is obsessed with the immediate. It's obsessed with the immediate. It's it's obsessed with the here and now. And what we see is that they say we need to have immediate results. We, We need to have immediate change. We need to have now, now, now. We must have the thing that we need that's going to solve everything. But what we actually see in faith is that obedience in the same direction is where we see God move in profound ways. Here's a quote from a book, and I put the whole thing up here so you can read with me, but a a quote that struck out to me, struck to me. Hoping does not mean doing nothing. It means going about our assigned task, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. We oftentimes don't know what the crop's going to look like. It is not compelled to work away. It is not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It is the opposite of desperate and panicking manipulations, of scurrying and worrying. And hoping is not dreaming. It's not spinning an illusion of fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confidence, alert, expectations that God will do what he said he will do. It is not imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it his way and his time. God is saying, I see famine dirt. You see famine dirt. But I am telling you, if you put my hope, if, you're will- if, if you put your hope, if you're willing to live in between, I'm telling you, you're not going to see it. You're not going to know what's going on under the surface, but all of a sudden you're going to wake up and you're going to say, oh my goodness, the Lord produced a crop that I never thought was possible. Anytime we're called to something, there are moments where God is going to say, I see the dry dirt too. I see it. And I'm going to do something about it that's going to blow your mind. For the long obedience in the same direction, it requires hope and trust. So we see this happening with Isaac. Genesis 26, 12 through 13. Isaac planted crops in the land and in the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. The Lord was faithful to be with him and to bless him despite his shortcomings. In the in-between, even though Isaac made some mistakes, Even though Isaac had some fear, the Lord was faithful. 
And he said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to produce crops. And you see that it produced crops. Not down in Egypt, not down in Egypt, in some other land. He said, in the year that the famine happened and the land that I promised you, I'm going to produce crops and your mind is going to be blown. And it was. And it reaped a hundredfold. And the year of dry ground, it reaped a hundredfold. And he was blessed. Now, not only was he blessed, there was something else going on here. Because I could, I could preach, and, and to be honest with you, we'd probably go from like, I don't even know how people are here, 70 people to 300 people if I said, and the Lord's going to bless you, and you're going to be wealthy just like Isaac. The Lord is all about generational impact. The Lord is all about generational impact. Yes, Isaac was blessed. Yes, Isaac saw crops that he thought were not possible. But the Lord's intention for him not to go, to, go down to Egypt was because he wanted generational impact. He, he said, I, you want to see me move. This is not about you, Isaac. This is about the promise that I have with your people and your descendants and their descendants and their descendants are going to see the work that the Lord did. The land that the Lord called him to, not down in Egypt. He's going to bless generation after generation and he's going to be blessed with his, with his, his, uh, his, his work. And Isaac could have gone down to Egypt and got his immediate needs met. He could have, but he didn't. He wants to set things in motion for generational impact. Now, why do I share this message? One, the Lord really placed it on my heart. I'll tell you about it in a couple of weeks. But there's a lot of people in our, in our congregation that I really do see. There are areas of just like famine dirt. I think each one of us probably has an area of famine dirt where we just can't see God, what God's going to do with it. But we know that he's called us to remain faithful in it. And there's an area of our, in, in our lives that over the last two years or maybe the last three months or maybe whatever, it's like I'm just losing hope. If not, I've lost it completely. I'm looking at dry dirt and I'm ready to move on. And my prayer is that you will keep going. If that's what the Lord called you to, my prayer is that he... He will keep going, that you hold on to the promise that the Lord has, even when you don't know why. Many of you are in job situations where you're like, I do not know why I am still supposed to be here. It feels like famine dirt. And maybe there's a place or a made up new job that you feel like this is going to feel like produce crop. And you're like, I don't know how to, how it's going to happen. But the Lord's calling you maybe just to stay there a little longer. You're like, oh, Lord. I don't want to. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a financial situation where you're like, man, the Lord said that I don't have to worry, and yet all I see is famine after famine. But he is your provider, and he is in the business of repairing broken things, and you will see fruit coming out of dry land. Uh, if you've lived this faith long enough, you know that that's true. Oftentimes, the crop doesn't look like you thought the crop was going to look like. Hear me say that. Oftentimes, it looks different. But you look back and you think, man, why did I even worry when there was dry ground? Why did I even worry when there was famine upon famine? Because the Lord always comes through. And you're, not, you're meant to live in the space between dry dirt and crops. But I want to make this clear. You are not meant to live in between dry famine dirt and crops by yourself. That's another thing that's going on in the American church. This is scary land. 
I find myself in this a lot. This is not easy land. If you decide that you're going to do this on your own, if you think that you're going to do this on your own, if you think you're going to remain faithful on your own in between these two things, you it's probably not going to happen. I'm just going to be honest. But in community, this is where the church comes together, and we pray for you, and we are there for you. And some of us, it's like, hey, I don't even have 10 bucks to get on the bus. The church community comes around, and they say, hey, we see your family dirt too, but remain faithful. We got you. Because the Lord wants to work in here. The Lord wants to work in here. You're not meant to live in that space by yourself. You're a community that will help you find courage, to help you keep the eager hope alive in between, to pray alongside you, to cry alongside you, to be there for you, to encourage you not to flee to Egypt even when it feels like you want to flee to Egypt, okay? And when we do this, we build up our faith muscles of perseverance. We build up the strength and the courage that we need. And we practice the long obedience in the same direction. And I promise you, you'll see this. You'll be like, that's the fruit that the Lord wanted to produce. Number two, we had a word spoken over our church. Uh, There's a friend of mine, uh, a friend of the family. He's kind of a prophetic voice and guy from Florida that we know. And and, and, uh, he called and I was talking to him and, and I'm... Pastor time. Everyone thinks the pastor has it all together. I was in a complaining mode. I was gonna. I was ready to complain. And he he had the he had the audacity to ask this question: How's the church doing? And you know the church is great, but it feels like famine after famine. We've had this church building for ten months, and since that ten months, the world has only gotten worse. There's inflation, and there's Good night. Try to get your hands on anything as far as like, you know, building products right now, right? There's a scarcity of products. There's the gas prices are going high. There, there's, there's stuff that we deal with in parking lots and being in the center in the heart of the city that we just have to deal with. And, and I, was, I was just speaking this into existence. I was just sharing my heart. And this guy said, he said, look, Genesis 26. And I said, look, I, I get it. We've been working with architects. We've been working with engineers. And we've been doing all the work. And we still haven't heard from the city of Lakewood. And we don't know about the permits. And, and, and he said, Genesis 26. So there, there's, there's a famine after famine, 100%. We just came off of COVID. We, we just came off of all kinds of stuff. If you're an OG in this church, the little church that could. Uh, there's, there's COVID. And there's inflation, yes, and there's scarcity of products, yes, and there's uncertainty in the world. And, and sometimes this feels like dry dirt. Like sometimes, do you ever get that? Trust me, I know it because all my buddies, all my buddies who are pastors, I have all, most of my buddies are pastors, and they're like everyone. All the Christians saw dry dirt and they ran to Egypt. They ran to the things that they thought would make them happy. And they saw famine after famine, and they were like, deuces. And I said, you know what? I want to do that too. But the Lord has a promise on this church. And the Lord has a promise that he's going to produce fruit. He has always called us to the heart of the city. We've bounced around, but he has always called us to the heart of the city. When we saw this building, we were like, I didn't even see this coming, right? We literally were talking to two or three other buildings, trying to negotiate, trying to take dry dirt and saying, Lord, you're in this. Lord, you're in this. And the Lord's like, wait on the Lord. And for months, 
after months, after months, after months, sometimes it felt like forever, he said, I got a crop for you. And then we get it. We get the building. And it's like, all right, here comes the fruit. And yeah, the amount of plans that I have had to look at and ask Mark and John and Tony, what am I even looking at? I don't care where this toilet is, just as long as we have toilets. Well, there's codes and it doesn't matter. The Lord is going to produce the fruit. He's always meant us to be here, to be in this moment. And here's the deal. It's not about us. It really isn't. We got the building permits. So we are able, many people know, we're able to continue building. The whole building got reviewed. That's why it took so long. But we're, we're going uh, to be accelerating. And John's going to talk about what we're moving. But the next four to six months are going to be like, hold on. Because we're going to be in between. We're going to be in between. But here's the thing. He planted us at Gravely and Bridgeport. And, and I just want to speak this in. This is the worst sales. I'm the worst at sales. You know that. But this fruit that we're going to see. Sorry. I really do believe this. This fruit that we're going to see is for the generation after generation after generation. I think we're going to, we're going to see fruit. I do. I, I think we'll see growth. We'll see the Lord move in, in marvelous ways. I really am that. But I think there's a day, and my, my wife and I's heart is that, you know, I'm not going to leave any kids out, but I'm just, the redeemed kids that are upstairs right now, uh, my prayer is that at some point, Jeremiah and Abe, my kids, or Gabe, Micah, you're sitting right here, Isaac, you're sitting here, Abel. These kids that are going to be like, my mom and dad saw famine after famine, and they fought so hard for a church. And they lived in between, and they are, were built on the shoulders of our mom and dad, who didn't give up, because the church needs, the, the Pacific Northwest needs more churches, not less churches. Can I hear an amen? amen. And kids around the corner are going to benefit from the work that we're doing now. And, and I want to be further along. I, I want to be doing all kinds of outreach events, and I want to be doing, like we we have this crazy idea of like a live nativity and I mean, just like stuff that we're just like, we're dreaming. We are. But at the same time on Saturday, yesterday, we had about 10 of us that were just taking hammers to walls and slowly, but surely the in-between we're going to be moving forward and we're going to see that fruit. And some of us in this lifetime, will see the fruit and some of us won't see the fruit in our lifetime and that's okay. But we'll remember that God said don't run to Egypt. And the Lord's going to build up the strength and the courage of us when we do that. 